Um, so just for the visitors, um, like Leonard said, we are at week three of four in the Colossians series. And just to give like maybe a little bit of a recap of the past two weeks, uh, two weeks ago, Leonard preached or maybe gave like more overview of the book of Colossians. And he, and he highlighted why the book was written primarily or initially. And it was written specifically to the church of Colossians or the Colossian church. And it was written because of a heresy or false teaching that was busy creeping into the church. And Leonard coined it as a, a Jesus plus gospel. So it's Jesus plus something else that will give you fruit in your life. But we do know that Jesus is enough. So Paul is busy writing to this church and say, hey guys, don't go down this route. Come back to the pure gospel, the pure good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is enough. And some things I, I took notes there that, that he said that it's not Jesus plus human traditions, or it's not Jesus plus philosophy, or a fancy word that all of us now probably used um, this past two weeks a lot, but it's not Jesus plus asceticism. I think that's the right way to say it. Um, meaning that it's like a gospel or a Christianity of human effort, but it is a gospel that is rooted in Jesus and Jesus alone. And then last week, um, James preached about basically where Paul's starting in, in chapter 2, starting to expound on a defense to say, hey guys, this is not the true gospel. This is not the right way to do it. Let's come back that Jesus is supreme. And basically what James tried to do last week is just like elevate Jesus, not that he needs to be elevated because he's already high and amazing, but he went into that Jesus is the one that we find life in, that we become alive in Jesus, that we can be forgiven in Jesus. And then this evening we're going to speak a bit more about this, but he hinted towards that only in Jesus we can be free. And it is so important, actually, that we, that we follow this um, series because it, it's, it's to an extent we, we sometimes approach the Bible and say, let's just read this chapter or let's just read this chapter. And there's some good things that we get from it. But as we read the whole book through, we start to, to see almost like an interweaving of what Paul is trying to say to us. And he's getting towards actually chapter three that we're going to speak about tonight. And what he wants to speak about is that this Jesus plus gospel, this Jesus of human, ach, this gospel of human effort does not have the power to overcome sin. It does not. It's not based in human effort. But I think sometimes our Christianity has become, it's become, become something like you start off on this side and you start to walk with Jesus. And as you're following and as you're following, we get to this point where we park to the side and we're like, I'm a good Christian. I raise my hands. I even like give a little smile while I worship and I clap my hands and I read my Bible and I do the right things and we say, God, I got this, okay? I got this Christian thing and we park off to the side. But actually the gospel of Jesus Christ is a relational gospel. It's a relationship between us and him and he wants to do this with us. So we find that Paul speaks about the importance of dealing with sin because the Bible says that sin leads to sin leads to death. And it's so important for us to actually grasp this truth of how to deal with sin in our lives because sin brings a separation between us and God. And we don't want to defeat sin in our lives just because to look better. 
If that is your goal, you can go to a drama. We have the drama department here. Who's a drama student? Yeah. And you can just go for classes. Um, and you can, you, Donnie was like overseas because of his performance and things like that. And we can just learn from them to become and perform to be good Christians. We can act the right way. We can do and say the right things. I can give the Christian smile. And I can just be a nice guy. But the reality of Christ working himself in our lives will not be a reality. So it's so important for us to understand. Colossians 2.23 says the following um, that Paul writes. And he says, these have indeed an appearance, a performance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the body, but they are of no value and in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. These things of human tradition and human effort have an appearance of looking like a Christian, but it can't change a heart. It can never change a heart. You will always just be a good performer, a good Christian from the outside, but you will never have a changed heart if we don't know how to put sin to death truly. And that is what I believe God wants to come and do for us this evening, or bring a truth across to how we really need to fight sin in our lives. And I think for some of us, it would be like, aha, uh -huh, I, I know that. But for others of us, I think it would be so contrary to the way that you've been walking with the Lord. Because many of us have started our walks, it's almost like this marathon that we run, and we started off well. The whole book of Galatians, Galatians also speak about that, that you've started off in the spirit, you've started off in relationship with God, but now you're coming to a part that you just step to the side and Jesus, I got this. I'll figure out my life. I'll figure out how to deal with sin. And we don't go back to what scripture says on how to do it. Amen. Are you guys excited? Many of you just came like, I just want to figure myself out and sort out the sin and things that I've been struggling with. So I want to unpack how do we then put sin to death. And I want to take the analogy. I saw Jock somewhere. Um, he was like at the World Cup trail running the other day. He's quite fit. <laughs> and I want to use the analogy of a marathon that all of us starts off this marathon with Jesus. But there's certain checkpoints that we need to recognize in our walk with him to finish the race. God didn't save you just to get you into heaven. Do you know that? Otherwise, as soon as you get saved, we need to shoot you, and you die, and then you go to heaven, because that's the end goal of your life. Hallelujah. But we're still here. So there must be more to our, our walk with God than just getting saved. It's getting saved, yes, grace works in us, to be saved by faith, but then grace continually works within us to transform us to look like His Son, Jesus. So that when the world looks at us, I thought about that scripture when we spoke about the outreaches, that we, the church of Jesus Christ, is the light of the world. If you want to see the light of the world, look at the church. Look at the people of God, and that there's something of Jesus within the church that we reflect and represent. So on our marathon journey with Jesus, to get us to the end line, I want to look at three checkpoints um, to help us a little bit to just, as a, and as a sense of a guidance that I'm still on the right track to defeat sin in my life. 
And you understand the end goal is not defeating sin. The end goal is closer, intimate relationship with Christ, being able to be intimate and close with Him in relationship and also to reflect Him well. So number one is checkpoint one. Have you received Jesus as Lord? Colossians 2 verse 6, Paul writes to the Colossian church and he, and he says the following, Therefore, as you receive Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in Him. It didn't say receive Christ Jesus as your Savior, as your lover, as your friend. All of those things are true in the scriptures that speak about it, but it says, did you receive Christ Jesus as your Lord? I know when I got saved, I was two or three weeks into my Christian journey, and um, the guy that mentored me in Jesus, uh, I sat with him at a coffee shop, and he sat me down, and he taught me the truth, and he said, Henry, it's not only Jesus as Savior, but as Lord. And Lord in itself has, has this... Um, in a sense, wait to it. A Lord is somebody that is almost like a commanding officer over you, that he has authority, that he has influence, and he has rule over a certain area. So as we receive Christ as our commanding officer over our life, what we're actually saying is, if we accept this aspect of God, he is the ruler he is the authority. He is the commanding officer of every part of our lives. This is not something that you catch somewhere through the race. This is something that we're catching at the starting blocks to be able to run this race. Is Jesus Lord not only a part of your life, but of your whole life? And I thought about this our Christianity sometimes, and when we look at Jesus, I don't know when you were, you were small, uh, especially when we were grade seven, standard five, we used to have this pluck book that we started to put together, but it's like a memory book for the end of the year, and we have like every picture of everybody that was in your class, and then you circle, I didn't like this guy, and you just pluck things together. But I think sometimes what we do is, so how pluck book works, you could take your mom's huisgenoot um, and you cut out every celeb that you like and you put certain things there and you put different words and you formulate a sentence with these words. It's quite creative, it's nice, you must try it. But what we do is we apply that method with God. And we're like, let's create a pluck book Jesus, a scrapbook Jesus, that we just, I like this characteristic of him, let's put him there, and this part of him, and put him there. And then we formulate a Jesus that we like, and we don't take him at face value for who he is. It's like, Henry, I love that you are funny. I am funny now and then. And I love this aspect of you. But when you want to speak into my life, like, I don't want that part of you. That's weird. That's weird. We don't even approach people like that. But with God, we sometimes create these components of who Jesus is, and we just put other components of them to the side. And I want to ask us, what is the ultimate authority in your life? Because that is the very starting blocks for our Christian faith, who Jesus is in your life. Because we do get actually other authorities. I, I wrote down some authorities here, and it's maybe the authority of self, you are the greatest authority in your life. What you say is go. If you don't feel like worshiping, who cares what Jesus expects of you? It's all because 
what you feel. Our very culture elevates I. Our culture is determined to raise the voice of your opinion. Why is there 500 comments on one post on Facebook? Because everybody believes their comment counts. Nobody reads it. Just for entertainment now and then. But you, the, the, the whole, in a sense, society is built around elevating your opinion and what you think and the authority of self. The next one is the authority of your favorite YouTuber. You just, if you just want to have an answer, just go to that guy that you already know would want to say what you already want to know. You know what that guy will say, or that lady would say. And we just YouTube it, or Google, the God of Google. We just go to Google if you want to have an answer. Google is not the Holy Spirit. It's not God. And what we do is we create an authority in Google. Well, probably one of my pet peeves, and I'm hammering some things because these things maybe have crept into us that we bestow authority on other things higher than the leaders, than the friends, than the people that God has placed around you, and very much higher, actually, than God himself. But maybe the, the authority of a seemingly smart friend Everybody has that friend. He's just so smart. He just always has the right answers. And I've sat with those smart friends sometimes, and I'm like, you're so smart that you don't understand yourself. You don't know what you're saying. And sometimes their opinion of God is higher value in your life than what the Bible says of God. And sometimes we need to just come back and say, God, are you still the ultimate authority in my life? So as the foundation, we go to checkpoint two. Checkpoint two is that same scripture that says, therefore, Colossians 2, 6, Ryan, you can keep that one up. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. This is something active. This is not something passive. Our Christian walk does not stop when we say, Jesus, I accept you as Lord and Savior. It only starts there. There's actually a, a continual journey that we go on, not only accepting Him, but walking in God. Many people start off well in their Christian faith, but do not know how to walk with God. Do you walk with God? Colossians 3, verse 1 to 5, and that is also where we get to Scripture in chapter 5, ach, in verse 5, that speaks about um, actually, the title of this preach. Maybe you can put up verse 5 and then we're going to um, start off there in the middle. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. That's where it comes from. But Colossians 3, um, as we are journeying through this book, actually, Paul starts to get very practical of how do we do this thing then? I shared a lot of theology, a lot of theory, a lot of, um, in a sense, belief, but now we need to do this thing. And he starts it off in this way. Verse 1, verse 3. Ach, chapter 3. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above. And can you see it's active language? It's seek, set your mind, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died 
and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, not a part of your life, Christ, who is your life, appears, then also you will appear with him in glory. And then it goes on to say, in view of that, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. What Paul is saying here is that we don't have a passive relationship with God, but an active walking with Him. Meaning that our relationship with God is actually a daily God consciousness. And it's a very big word, but basically it means to be conscious of God. That's God conscious. And as we get saved, there's a sense, the Bible calls it to be born again. Om weder geboorte te, geboore te word. And when you are born again, it's like literally the whole, your whole world changes. It is like a whole world opens up to you and you are conscious of this new being who is Savior, his lover, his friend, his Lord. And we look to him and we're on this journey and on this marathon to start to walk with him. But as we are walking with him, we are reading here, you've been raised with him, meaning you were dead. The Bible calls us as sinners dead, but now we've been raised in Jesus. We've been made alive as believers, but then seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated, meaning our Christian walk should not be daily, God, what should I do and what should I not do? Sin conscious. What, it's like landmines. But many of us live like that. I, for many years, lived like that. It's just like if this is the road of Christianity, I just must... Try to figure out where the landmine is. And then I'm like, okay, just don't step there because that's sin and that's sin. And then, okay, that's safe. And then there. And then I maybe step on a landmine and I blow my leg off. And then I go back and I pray more and I figure this thing more out. But that's not the relationship God wants. It's a relationship that asks the question continually, how can I please my Father? Seek God. Seek the things that are above. And that as I am journeying with him, and specifically when I start to be when I was born again, my whole heart would leap to to please my God. I did swear a lot, a lot, a lot, and cussed and used the Lord's name in vain when I was unsaved. I drank a lot. I partied a lot. I fought a lot. Then I came to salvation came to know Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Megan. <laughs> Thanks. Then I came to know Jesus. I nowhere read in the Bible that I shouldn't sh swear. I, I, I don't actually know, to be honest, as I'm standing here, I don't know where the scripture is. Don't swear. But something in me, every time that I did swear, it felt like, oh, whole heaven looked at me and everybody, I, I felt... Every, it was like the spotlight was on me. I'm like, whoa. And I'm like, that didn't please my father now. And I stepped back. I'm like, okay, what pleased my father? What pleased my father? Because in me, there was like a wheel alignment change that I was like set on pleasing God. But I wasn't focused on the whole time. Oh, sin, more sin, more sin. Because that will keep you busy for your whole life. <laughs> Nobody had to teach me to stop drinking too much. There was something in me that just knew I want to please my God. And there was something in me that just knew that I want to please Him and that is not pleasing to Him. So are you walking with Him? It does not mean that there's not a thing that 
um, that God can convict you of things, meaning that as you're on a living relationship with God, there, he says that I will send a helper, the Holy Spirit, who will convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. God will convict you of sin and say, my son, my daughter, that area of your life is not pleasing to me. Then there's a word we call repent. Bakir. Repentance is not confession. Sometimes we love to confess our sins before God. We don't repent of our sins. Repentance means I'm sorry and I'm turning away. And we go on to what pleases the Lord. Amen. Amen. So number one, is he the Lord of your life? But secondly, as he is Lord of your life, are you continually on a journey walking with him? Or are you starting off the marathon two, two kilometers in, you park to the sign, I'm like, oh, so awesome I can compete in a marathon. You will be that guy sitting there to the side. You competed, but you never finished. And on the one hand, it's super funny. On the other hand, it will be a very sad day on judgment. When you started the race well and you lived for God, but what happened? You started off and then you turned to a gospel of human effort to say, I will try to do it myself here at the side, and we get stuck in our Christian faith. So then, number three, how should we then deal with sin? Checkpoint three. It says, what did I say there? Walking in Him. And then number three says, Christ in us has the power to overcome sin. It's Christ in us that has the power to overcome sin. Our relationship with God is a co partnership with him to work it within us and as we go through Colossians we start to see that Paul understood something and we should actually ask this question how did Paul understand his relationship with God because it comes through in his writing and in his language and as he is writing and as as I was reading the the book of Colossians I just could see something different that wasn't in me and what I mean is Colossians 1 29 says the following, and this is just Paul writing of his work in the Colossian church, but he understood something. We can put that one up, one um, twenty nine, Colossians. For this I, Paul, toil, labor, work. I added some comments there just to make it clear. Paul is laboring and he is working, struggling with all his, God's energy, that he power, powerfully works within me. It's a strange verse that says Paul is busy working into the Colossian church. He's busy working into the different churches. It's Paul working, but it's not Paul working. It's like, whoa, Paul, what, what's going on? It, it feels weird. Paul is saying that what he is busy doing, it's very much him putting action, like putting action to where his mouth is, and he just goes for it, and he works for God, but it's not Paul working. It is Christ working powerfully within Paul to do what he can. We also find in Galatians 2.20 the following um, very well-known scripture that says, I have been crucified with Christ, Paul writing. It is no longer Paul who lives, but it's Christ who lives in Paul. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself up for me. Once again, Paul is dead. But now that he's alive, God is working something in him, a work in him to continually walk with God and, and, and to put sin to death. And a story that I have for this, I, I 
got reminded while I was preparing about, I was six or seven years old, my, my dad said, I'm going to teach you how to drive. I'm like, yo, I'm scared. <laughs> a little chokerki, getting into the bucky. We lived in Clan William, and there's just buckies. Um, everybody Burj and everybody has a bucky. So we went down to, my dad worked for, still does work for Roybos, and we went to the factory, and there was this open spaces where we could drive. So my dad was sitting in the driving seat. I was sitting on his lap. I was holding uh, the top um, part of the steering wheel. He was holding the bottom part. And then he started the bucket. And I'm like, oh, yes, he got those. here we go. And I was sitting there, and I'm like holding the steering wheel, like almost sweating, like I'm going to drive this thing now. And then he guides me, and he puts it into gear, and there I go. And, I, and very slowly, I turn it. And he's like, just look out to that wall. And then we go around. And I think sometimes that is us and God, that we are actually on the lap of God. And that is what Paul is trying to explain here. We're on the lap of God. God is starting the Christian bucky that we are driving. He is putting it into gear. He is putting fuel to this machine. And we are steering and guiding and hearing his voice. But he has very much hands on the steering wheel. But what Paul is trying to warn the church in Colossians about is, guys, you are putting God on the passenger seat. You know how that looks for a six-year-old sitting in a bucky? Your feet just kick there at the bottom. It can't just reach the pedals. I could maybe start this Christian thing somehow. I don't think I could do that. But I will never be able to put it in gear. I would look like I can drive a bucky, but I can't even look over the steering wheel. We would look the part, but we can't even move the Christian vehicle forward. We need to co-partner with God in dealing with sin. So getting more practical, and I'm ending with this, we need to stop fighting sin in our own strength. And it's such a strange thing that we do to, to take things up in our own strength. I don't like speaking about lust the whole time. I think it's a... Um, a topic that we jump in the whole time, but it's a good illustration that when it comes to lust, pornography, and things like that, when we recognize it or God convicts us of it, we say, God, I got this. And you put him to the passenger side over there, and we're like, I'll fight this thing to the death. And people conjure up certain amount of effort inside of them, and they will fight this thing, and they will cut things off, and they will delete Instagram, and they will delete Facebook, and they will go crazy to fight this thing. But the Bible never told us to fight lust. Do you guys know that? It said, flee youthful temptations. Because God knew we were not strong enough to fight it. We had to run from it. But we like, I'll fight this demon in my life. That is the Goliath of my life. And you're like, no, 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 no. You are not David. You guys know that? In the story of David, you are not David. It's Jesus. David was a picture of Jesus, not you, not me. God is fighting that for us. Let's flee youthful temptations, not fight it. But then we fall, and maybe we watch something that we shouldn't watch, and then there's, there's something that comes on, onto us of a spirit of motivation. We just motivate ourselves to do it better this time. We once again say, Jesus, just, just go sit there at the back. Come on. I got this. I want to show God that I can do this. And we motivate something in us to try to do this thing. But once again, God didn't tell us to do that and motivate you to do that. 
He says, confess it. When last have you confessed sins? If you haven't done this in the past month, maybe we must sit down and get some skeletons out the closet because that's the way of God. But what we do is we just struggle alone, on our own, just doing this thing. The next one we do is like life decisions. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2 says, Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not conform to the patterns of this world. So when it comes to life decisions, uh, Brigitte and I are, are expecting little Mia to come in hopefully 11 weeks, um, not sooner. Um, but when it comes to our new life decision, there was this thing that conjured up in me to say, oh, we must get a new car, a family car, okay? Whoever coined that term, what is a family car? That's a student car, that's a sports car, that's a family car. I don't know, it's probably the dealership that said that, that's a family car. So I had this thing in me like, okay, we need to get a family car, we need to get a bigger house now, three bedrooms, because we're going to be three now. <laughs> we're in the same room, but yeah, it doesn't make sense. But something in me started to kick in that I wanted to make adjustments to our life. And I was looking on the internet, I was looking at Property 24, I was looking at different cars, and it was so expensive, and da-da-da-da-da. But the thing is, God spoke to us and says, said to us, be content, chill, chill. You don't need to upgrade now. And he was teaching us something in that moment. But if we would have upgraded to a family car, every one of you would have looked at us and said, yeah, obviously, getting a kid. It's justifiable. The patterns of the world, there will always be a justifiable reason to do it. But we are not of those that are in the patterns of this world. We need to renew our minds. And you know, the scripture goes on to say the following. Renewing our minds so that you may be able to discern what is the will of God. The good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. If we put sin to death in our lives, you will be able to discern more clearly what is the will of God for your life? There will always be a justifiable reason to do it your way. Do you know that? There will always be somebody to tell you, yeah, you can do that, man. It's fine. You know, you can sleep with your girlfriend. It's fine. The world does it. You must test drive it before you can buy the car, obviously. That's the, that's the language of this world. What do we do? Yeah, it's fine. No, no, no. It's not the way of God, and we separate ourselves from him. I want to end off maybe with just two different areas of things that I felt for us as a congregation. The Amplified uses that scripture well, Colossians 3 verse 5, and it says the following, um, just adds a little bit. Do you have the Amplified? I can read it here, it's fine. So put to death and deprive of power the evil longing of your earthly body. There's something in us that would long for sin because we were born in sin. But then it adds and says, with its sensual or self-centered instincts. The sin, I believe, is, I believe the religion or the God of the age is the, the God of self. Self-seeking. The sin of self. I think what we need to put to death is our very selves. I believe, if not all, 
most sin is rooted in self. I choose this rather than God. What I want rather than what God wants. Instant pleasure rather than eternal rewards. And I believe that is something we need to do a hard check within us to put to death, to say, is God fully Lord of my life in every area, not just some areas? Am I walking with Him continually? And is there a sense that I'm co-partnering with God and saying, God, where do I still put myself above you? Where do I still put you in the drive, in, on the passenger seat and I take the steering wheel to take hold of my life? And I know there's many practical things we can mention on how to deal with sin. We can go in every little detail and look at every single fruit and how to pluck it off. But I think sometimes we need to leave that, step back and say the roots, there's something wrong with the roots. We're not connected to Christ well. And we do it, it's connected into self, but not connected into Christ. And then secondly, it's actually something that myself and Brigitte has been speaking about a lot. The Lord has been speaking to her for about three or four years regarding this area. And it's more prevalent with ladies. And that's why it's easier for me to share it, because I don't know a thing about it. And it's the area of gluttony. Gluttony. And when we read about gluttony in the area of uh, misuse of food, we always think when it comes to gluttony, it is something that we, we eat until we, because in the old age where gluttony was a problem, is they would go to these parties or they would go to these big events and they will eat until they can't eat anymore. And then they would go and vomit all the food up and they will go eat more. And we're like, whoa, a glutton. That guy can't control himself. But actually, it is more to do with our obsession with food and how we grab hold of, indulge ourselves when we don't feel good of us, about ourselves. We didn't have a good day. So I want to reward myself or I want to, I, in a sense, we justify food in our lives. And we use it almost like pornography. We run to pornography when we don't feel well, we feel ashamed. We run to that thing as a sense of comfort. But I think gluttony is this one sin that's always been underlying in the church, but nobody steps on that thing's head and puts it to death. I want to say, if you have habits in your life of calculating every single thing that you eat, the Bible says, or Colossians speaks about 126, um, that speaks about, no, 2, that speaks about the severity of the body. Sometimes when we ate something that we don't like, we beat our body to the other side and starve ourselves. That's gluttony. That's gluttony. That's sin. Put that thing to death. There's something that has a hold in your life and you don't run to God for comfort I don't mean we can't enjoy ice cream. We're going to Christians afterwards. Hallelujah. <laughs> but let's not have anything that have a grip on our lives. Because sin leads to sin leads to death. And I believe this is areas, the area of self and the area of gluttony, the area of lust, the area of life decisions, that all of this must be brought underneath the submission of Christ. And say, God, would you come and help me deal in this area? Amen? I'm going to pray for us in closing.
So with all the eyes closed, I know there's quite a couple of visitors and this might be quite a heavy message for, for maybe a first time visitor to say, whoa, you guys hit sin quite hard. <laughs> we want to say it is rooted in the love of God. God loved us enough to send his only son to fight on behalf of us to die a death that we couldn't have died because we fell so short, says the Bible. For all the ages, man tried to reach to God and fell short because of who we are and because of sin within us. But Jesus was the one, the only one, that was able to reach the standard of perfection. And if it wasn't for him, if it wasn't for him, we wouldn't be able to be saved, number one, be born again, that the Bible calls it, be in a living relationship with him. But it doesn't stop there, that our Christian walk is actually a continual allowing of God to work himself in us and allowing God to work grace within us until that last day when he will come back for a pure and spotless bride and says, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've given yourself to put sin to death, to be obedient, and to live a, a, a beautiful relationship with me. So I want to ask, um, and we need to do this because we want to give everyone an opportunity. If you're here and you've never accepted Jesus, not only as Lord, but as Savior of your life, we want to create an opportunity to pray for you afterwards um, if you can just maybe give an indication so that I can pray for you if there's anyone that has not accepted Jesus as the Lord and Savior of their life. Great. Makes it much easier with all the Christians here. If the Lord spoke to you today and said, there's an area that I must put to death in my life of self, that I don't love the way I should love. <laughs> I don't give myself the way that I should give myself. And once again, it's basically just submitting ourselves under Christ. Would you stand with me and let's just trust the Lord to come and highlight that area, put grace in our hearts to submit ourselves back to Him and say, God, this area I want to tackle with you. No longer on my own, but with you. So let's stand together and pray that the Lord would come and do a wonderful work in our hearts. Father, we thank you for your grace. Father, there is werkelijk net genade. It's truly just grace. It's truly just grace and by grace that we can do this, God. Father, we don't want to fall into this false religion, this false teaching of the Colossian church that we do the Christian faith in human effort. But it is based on grace that it is God by His Spirit working the love of God into our hearts, that daily, as we accepted Him as Savior, but daily, Father, you, you can be our Lord as well. And that as we are walking with You, God, holy and pleasing before You and saying, God, come and work within us. We want to please You. We want to honor You. We want to magnify You. There's a want within us because we have the Spirit of God within us, God. So we want to co-partner with our God. What a privilege, eh? 
Lord, we want to say what a privilege that we can, can have a faith that is supernatural, that it's based not on our own works, but it's based on the relationship of our God, and that as God works within us, we can see life strange. And Father, I thank you for what you've already done, but Lord, even more. Father, we want to trust that Stellenbosch PM, when you look at us as a bride, no wrinkle, no mud on the dress, no torn shoulder there, but a pure and spotless bride. As a bride prepares herself for the wedding day, so we want to prepare ourselves for something beautiful, Lord. Father, I want to pray, if you look at me on that last day, I want you to say beautiful, beautiful. And likewise, all of us, that is the cry of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.